0: We are going to be in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there and, uh, and follow along. We'll have a handful of Bibles floating around. We want you to follow along with us. So if you don't own a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. And if you don't uh, nobody today, come on. follow Good job, Josh. And then we've got one over here. Great. Follow along with us. Mark chapter 6. Now, normally we'll try and recap the previous week to bring us up to speed to what we need to cover today. What I need to do today, though, is go back about five or six weeks and bring us back to the end of Mark chapter 3. And so you haven't been with us, this is going to be all new to you, but if you have, you've heard it before. But at the end of Mark chapter 3, there's this really telling story of Jesus, right? The, The apostles are on a boat, and it's going to be in the same sea, in the same boat that they're probably on in today's text, and they're floating along, and the storms begin to rage, And they get fearful, and they get terrified. And Jesus, meanwhile, on the boat, while all of this is happening, what's Jesus doing? Who remembers? He's sleeping, right? Jesus is taking a nap, okay? So so Jesus is sleeping in the corner. Everyone's freaking out. They wake Jesus up and say, hey, do you not realize what's going on? We're about to die. Please save us. And he calls them out with their lack of faith, and he calms the storm. And they end that text with this question. Who is this man that even the waves obey? Okay? And we've tried to echo this question for the last six or seven weeks in saying Mark intentionally is trying to answer that question for us. The question that's posed at the end of Mark 3 is being answered in consecutive weeks in Mark chapter 4, 5, and culminating at the end of chapter 6 with today's text. Where again, we're going to find our apostles in a boat, on a sea, amidst trouble. Okay? Now, In the midst of that, before we even get to that story, there's another story which is one of the most famous of all the Scripture that comes just before it. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Now, a lot of us know this story. Jesus is going to multiply fish and loaves, and he's going to feed 5,000, maybe even 10,000, depending on how you want to read men in that text. Again, there might have been even double that amount, including women and children. So Jesus feeds a lot of people with, with five loaves of bread and two fish. And this is a celebrated story. And oftentimes it gets preached as, Jesus will multiply your loaves, okay? Which no one knows what that means, Okay? but it sounds really fun, right? Like, so whatever the thing is that you want more of, Jesus will come in and give it to you, right? That, I've heard that type of sermon before. Jesus is going to multiply your loaves. And so believe it and claim it, and then it's yours. That's not what's going on here, okay? Also, this text often, get, often gets preached where they're going to take the loaves text, the feeding of the 5,000, they're going to separate it from the boat text at the end of, uh, end of chapter 6. I don't think it should be done that way. And so what we have to do today is literally cover, and we're going to go Old Testament and Exodus and in Ezekiel as well today, we're going to cover 57 verses, okay? So we are flying. So that's the end of the intro, okay? So turn to 631. Let's start reading. And he said to them, "'Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure.' Even to eat. And when they went away in the boat to a desolate place themselves, now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When we went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This can become important. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, "'This is a desolate place. The hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat.' But he answered them, "'You give them something to eat.' And they said to him, "'Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat?' And he said to them how many loaves you have go and see. When they had found out they said five, and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So that they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken fish spoken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Okay. Let me pray over this since Nate didn't. And then, uh, and then we'll come back in and we'll finish up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. God, we thank you for what it teaches us about you. God, this text is so revelatory about Jesus, and we celebrate that today. God, would you expose us more to the reality that the Jesus that we celebrate is God in the flesh. And because he's God in the flesh, that is incredible good news for all of mankind and all of creation. And so, Heavenly Father, would you bless us today as we study this text and learn, who is this man that even the waves obey? It's your name we pray. Amen. Now, here's why this question is so important for us today. Who is Jesus? And we've tried to talk about it for a while. Who is Jesus? And we've spent time in the previous text realizing that Jesus has done things since the start of Mark that says, I am God, right? He's accomplished tasks that says only God can do these things, and Jesus is doing them, hence claiming his deity through action. What Jesus will do today is actually claim his deity by identifying himself with God. He is literally going to identify himself with God, with Creator, with Yahweh, so that the Jewish people present and then us reading today would say, Oh my God, this guy is God. Jesus is God. This is an incredible thing we have to get. And I think as much as it's cliche in the church, we miss it. I truly think that when we think about Jesus and we understand, yeah, well, Jesus is God. He's a third of the Trinity. We kind of get into all of these theological. We get it. But man, I wonder if a people truly understood that this guy that we follow, that we worship, that is Lord of our lives, if he's truly God, the God that created everything, is all-powerful, is sovereign over everything, if that's the guy we follow, if that's, if that's who Jesus is, man, I think it would look a little different for how the church operates. I think there's, there's, there's someone of a, a power that I think we should walk in. There, there's someone of a swagger in a weird way, and a very humble swagger, not a proud swagger. You know, like a humble one of these, you know? So humility in my heart, but I look cool. And so, like, something, something like that. Like, we should be... Okay, we identify with Jesus. God is on our side. This is an incredible feat for us. I had a best friend... In college, When I first, so I grew up in Louisiana, and, and I moved to California, and I had, I had this huge southern drawl, and so, I mean, I was just, it was, it was thick, and so I got made fun of quite a bit when I got to California, so I ditched it as fast as I possibly could. The leader of that group, right, that, that just was attacking me and making fun of me was this guy, Matt Stewart, okay? Matt Stewart, um, how, I mean, he was, the, he was the BMOC, you know what that is? He's the big man on campus, right? And I mean, this dude was rocking eighth grade hardcore, okay? So, I mean, this dude was strutting around Terracotta Middle School, just killing it, right? He's the guy that all the girls wanted to be with, the guy that all the guys wanted to be, that type of thing. And so, um, this was the guy that if you were cool at Terracotta Middle School, you had to be friends with him, and that he was the guy that hated me. And so, I made a direct effort to do everything I possibly could to gain his favor. And by ninth grade, by the time we got to Mexico Canyon High School, it had happened. And I was Matt Stewart's best friend. Okay? And I kid you not the privileges that came along with knowing this guy. Right? And it sounds, it sounds like I'm joking. I'm not. Like, he was that popular okay? that everywhere I went now, instead of mockery and scold, I was under his banner. Like, oh, that's Matt Stewart's best friend. Like, I didn't even have a name. Like, oh, that's Matt Stewart's best friend. And, uh, and I just remember, like, this, this unique shift all of a sudden in, in all of these things that are not, listen, if, you, if you're in your if, that are not important. Popularity is just dumb. It doesn't matter. But all this stuff, where I looked at my life, and all of a sudden, it was, it was better in the world's eyes, because I was, I was associated with Matt Stewart. So I got to walk in a certain way. I began to talk in a certain way. I began to feel a confidence in a certain way. A certain hum, humble, when I was actually then, it was very prideful swagger, Right? I honestly think this, guys, that if we understood, we really got that Jesus Christ, the guy that we've read about for the last 15 weeks, the guy that when you open up the Bible, the whole Bible points to, if we realized that, that guy is God, he's, listen, he created everything. He's God, if we truly believe that, there's certain, there's kind of this, oh, I'm with him. I, I'm with Him. I, I walk under His banner. I walk in His power. I walk in His grace. And so if we get that He's God, then all the things that God is has an impact on our lives. And so we look at grace. We look at forgiveness. We look at peace. Not only can we live in those for our own hearts, we can then extend those to the people around us. Amen? So we have, do, we, do we get this? Do we get that Jesus is God? And so this text, again, often gets preached it's about you. God's going to multiply your loves. He's going to take care of you. He's going to give you more. This text is one of the major ones that claims Jesus is God. We're looking at it in two different ways today. The first one is what we saw in this passage, that these guys were a sheep without a shepherd. The Jews that find themselves on this hill were a sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus now will become that shepherd. And so we have to look back, because I think here's what happens. I think Jesus looks upon these people. It says he's moved with compassion. Right? That he looks upon these people. But here's, here's what I find interesting. Jesus was on his way to rest. Right? On his way to take a nap. To get some much needed rest after continuous ministry. I have a nine month... Uh, Nine-month-old son named Finley. Okay, and, and if you're a parent here, you'll get this. But sometimes Finley, right, will have a great day. I'll go to put him down for his nap. He's got this little bear. Uh, we named named the bear Bear. And so we hand him Bear. We say, "Here's Bear," and he just just sucks it's like it gets disgusting. At the end of the night, it's soaked in his slobber. Um, Anyway, so he, we give him this bear, we, do, you know, we sing a song, I wrote him a song that I sing, I'm a terrible singer, but he loves it, and so he just lays there, and eventually he starts to doze off. And I just, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go rest. And I, and I come out of his nursery, and at the end of the hallway, from his nursery, when you walk out there, you see our door opened up, and there's my king-sized bed, right? And the sun's shining through, there's an angel hanging out, a guy with Krispy Kreme donuts is there. I mean, it's just the perfect, it is just like, it is, you know, I'm gonna go rest. And I kid you not, I get there. And this happens more often than not. I go and I lay down. As soon as I close my eyes, what do you think happens? Wham! Right? And I go, I hate you. Right? And I go, that's sin. Not my feelings, but you crying. Right? And I'm just so frustrated. And I'm like, why repent, kid? You know? Come to the Lord. And instead, that is the expectation. I, there, there's something we can easily blow by here. I want you guys to see the heart of Christ. That in every instance like that, and we get inconvenienced all the time, and we get frustrated and we get upset, and a lot of times then we just turn and go our own way anyway. We say, forsake the kid. Now that, that didn't happen. I went and got him. But I'm just saying, a lot of times we say, forsake whatever the inconvenience is. I'll go do my own thing anyway. It's about mine. It's about me. It's about what I want. Jesus, the heart of Christ here to say, gosh, I just need some rest. We need to get away. Let's go to a desolate place to get away from people. And instead, en route, all these people somehow beat him to to this place, and they get off the boat, and he's moved with compassion and this was an interesting emotion for me because I began to think, man, that's, I don't know if that's where I would go. right? I don't know if that's where my heart would go. So why does Jesus go there? One, well, he's God, so he gets that bonus. But two, I think he's seen this before. He's seen this before. Ezekiel 34, verse 2. And it's a bit long, so really try and hone in with me, okay? Ezekiel 34, verse 2. I encourage you to write it down so you go read again later. But Ezekiel 34, verse 2. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And they became food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them." Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. Verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on mountains of Israel. What is our setting? On the mountain, in Israel. Okay? I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. And so I think Jesus was moved in compassion because the Lord of our universe, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has seen this before. He thought back. He said, man, I've seen this before when when my people were a scattered people, when my people were without a shepherd. And so we see as five parallels. Five parallels between Mark 6 and Ezekiel 34 that Jesus is directly saying, I'm God to the whole world these five ways. First one, God sees Judah's leaders and prophets from the Old Testament Ezekiel were leading them astray and abusing the people. Okay, that's happening. And so look to today or you know, at the time of this passage when Jesus is there. He looks to the prophets, to the religious leaders. They are taking advantage of the people. They are using things for their gain and not for the people. They are abusing the grace God's given them. Second one, God was going to stop them in Ezekiel. Jesus' opposition we see clearly throughout the book of Mark in the entire New Testament. He opposes these religious people who have seemed to push the people of God down. Verse or Number three, God says He will be their shepherd in Ezekiel. In this, Jesus notices the people are what a sheep without a shepherd. He will go and be their shepherd. Number four, God will cause the people to lie down in good pasture in Ezekiel. In this, Jesus will make His people lie down on good grass as they gain. Last one, five, God says He will feed His people in the mountains of Israel. Mark 6, Jesus feeds his people in the mountain of Israel. See, what Jesus has just done is just drop the microphone. Right? He's just said, listen, if you don't get it yet, if you've missed the fact that no one's supposed to forgive, like this is all stuff we've talked about prior today, if you missed the fact that no one's supposed to forgive, but I did, and if that didn't prove to you that I'm God, then what about This if you didn't realize that, that all of these things that you've attributed only to God, only Yahweh can do, if it, and you've seen that I've done them, and you haven't realized I'm God, how about this? Let me try something different. And so he lays out this, I will be their shepherd and fulfill us to a T, this entire prophecy of Ezekiel 34. Having done it once before, fulfilling it for the people of God in the Old Testament, now fulfilling it for the people of God in the New. All to point to, I am God, I'm here. You asked in Mark 3, Who is this man whom the waves obey? Who is this man who raises people from the dead? Who is this man that causes the lame to walk? Who is this man who forgives sin? Who is this man who associates with sinners? Who is this man who hangs out with the people no one should ever talk to? Who is this man who makes the unclean clean? He's God. Jesus is God, friends. If you're here in a Christian, this should be a rallying cry, something so exciting, not that it's new to us. We already kind of believe it, but I mean, we should buy in hook, line, and sinker. He's God. He's powerful. So are we. Man, that's an incredible story. And so he lays it down. He says, well, you guys should obviously all get it now. I'm God. I'm God. And so he multiplies these fish and these loaves and he feeds five to 10,000 people. He says, look, look what I've done. He implores. He, he takes this, this, these five loaves of bread, these two fish, and he, just, he puts them there. And he asks, holds them up to God, blesses them, and all of a sudden... I don't know what it looked like, right? I, have no, I, I mean, did it, did it just kind of like all, did it start overflowing? I mean, how this looked, I have no idea, but we know from eyewitness account that over 5,000 people ate five loaves and two fish and there was food left over. Incredible. I often think through like, what? It's Jesus, and so did he only replicate the bread and fish that were there, or did he just have freedom to say, "Well, I'll do any bread and any fish"? Right. So he's like, "Do Texas toast, fried catfish, and just lay it out for the people." And they're like, "I'm in. I'll follow you." Okay. I just wonder, what did that scene? What was it like to just be there? And you're sitting down in your green pasture, and you're like, "Really, dude? Like, you're gonna feed us with that?" And then all of a sudden, just you—you you can almost see kind of the rush of the crowd. You know, what, you, ever, you ever been in a crowd where all of a sudden something's happening way over there and you slowly start to hear the noise and it travels? Like, oh my gosh, did you see this and this and this? I, just, I just picture this five was sitting down, Jesus is teaching, he's doing this stuff, and all of a sudden they see these baskets of food come back and the beginning to understand, wow, this guy that we followed, that we ran to get to, this is God in the flesh. What an incredible gift to see this. The story doesn't end there. Here's proof number two that who we're talking to is indeed He's indeed Jesus. Let's read in verse forty five. It says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Okay, so Jesus again tries to get away, see if it works this time. Verse 47, when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, "Take heart, it is I; do not be afraid." And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. Here, first, very, very key verse: for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So, this is why you got to preach these texts together. Because Mark, he's doing something here in verse 52. He's going back and say, "Okay, there's this next story." All of a sudden, we just talked about the fish and loaves and the feeding of five thousand. That's great, but now we bring it into the boat. And he says that they're a misunderstanding something that's happening in this second scene. They're not getting Because in verse fifty-two he says, they're misunderstanding. They didn't get it. They were astounded. Why? Not because they didn't get what just happened in the boat. They didn't get what happened with the loaves. Mark is saying what they missed, they still didn't get it. They still didn't get that the man that they were following, the man that they were walking with, was God in the flesh. They didn't get it. They didn't realize that Jesus and He's kept telling them, and they're that stubborn, you didn't get it. I'm God. And they missed it. And so here's His second proof that He's God to them. And they might not have gotten this one at the time, but we have the benefit of of looking at it from this angle. So here's one of the things we have to look at in this text. Oftentimes, when this gets preached, it says, He meant to pass by them, but they saw and were afraid. And so, you first think about this. You say, "Wait, so Jesus, Lord of the Universe, couldn't figure out how to not be seen, right? Like that's that's the way to initially. Like, wait a minute. So you 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 just fed five thousand people with nothing, yet you can't figure out how to duck. Like you can't swim underwater. Like you, I mean, your gut just fly over, put a cloud around, wear an invisibility cloak, just do." Any of the Harry Potter, um, any of these... Just, how did he... Why, why were you seeing him? And so that's how it reads at first. And then you begin to read little photos like that. that this doesn't make sense. And so oftentimes it, it gets kind of misinterpreted as we read it too quick. But here's, here's what it's saying. When it says, he meant to pass by them, it means he meant to pass by them and he did Intentionally. In other words, it was his desire to pass by the boat and for everyone to see him. The but that is referred to here is not, but Jesus' intentions were wrong and he didn't accomplish what he intended to. The but is referring to the way Jesus expected them to respond to the fact that they just saw Jesus. Does that make sense? So the confusion gets in, well, well, okay, so no, he meant to be seen by these people, which again, first glance, okay. They're confused. But again, the confusion here that Mark addresses points to again Jesus proclaiming, I am God. Now, this word that we have here, pass, is the word parakomia. Okay? perakomia It's found in different places throughout the Septuagint. We find it in Exodus 33, very predominantly, starting in verse 17. And what Jesus is going to do here with this paracomia, with this passing by, is going to claim His deity... Okay? in both identifying himself with who God is and also showing himself to be the exact character of God as well. And so let's look at these two passages. Exodus 33, 17. Okay? And the Lord said to Moses, so we're going to Old Testament. This is Moses now. The people have been in the wilderness. They've been going along. Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass, Perakomia, before you, and will proclaim to you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy in whom I will show mercy. be seen. And so again, we go back, Old Testament, Moses with uh, with his people through the wilderness, the Exodus, right? They're leaving Egypt, moving to the promised land that God has promised for them. And then he has this inter- uh, this interaction with God. And God says, amen, good job. You're doing a good job. Moses says, thanks. Can I see you? I'd love to see your glory. And God says, yeah, you can, but you can't see in its fullness. And so what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to hide you over here. And while you're in this cleft, so you don't get the full view, I'm going to, I don't know, you know, I don't know how he's going to soar by, right? He's going to, whoop, and then he's going to do that thing. And, and then he's like, I'm going to put my hand out. So he's going to hide, you know, hi, bam, Heisman. And as he goes by, he's doing this. He's like, you can't see, you can't see. And then by the time I get by, you can see my back. You see the back of my head. That's all you get. But you will see God. So for Moses, this is as good as a God. So, man, are you, are you telling me, wait, I actually get to see you? I, I get to see you. We, we've communicated and we've talked. You gave me the commandments. I'm trying to be obedient and mess up, whatever. We've done all of these things. We've had all these promises. You've come through over and over and over. And now, now I get to finally see you. Wow. And so he passes by. Perakomia. Passes by Moses. Jesus is intentionally identifying himself in this moment in the boat, for, or with these guys in the boat, as he passes by intentionally to say, I'm the same guy. Look, you can see me. And the reaction that he's hoping for is for finally, for finally, the apostles to get it. He's God. But instead, they respond with fear again. Remember, this all started, Mark chapter 3, in a boat. Who is this guy? Culminates in a boat again. Jesus finally saying, It is I. I'm here. I am. I am God. God is present with you. Why do you not get it? Let me point to another picture that hopefully you'll understand. So he passes by and shows beautifully his identity. Okay. Um. One of the big differences between what we can experience today and what we see from Moses—that that truly is as good as it got from Moses. He, he got to catch a glimpse of God, the beauty of the new covenant, the beauty of the current reality that we live in, is that Jesus Christ has come fully, fully. Colossians 2:9 says, "For in Him the whole fullness of God bodily dwells." So, everything that's the fullness of God, everything that God is, is in Christ. And He passes by, and what? It's not, hey, you can just check out my back. It's, look at my face. It's, look at me. I'm here. God in the present, in front of you, I've arrived. The relationship with God, I, and we see it in this verse throughout the entire scripture that point to we are the luckiest people in the world because we live on this side of Christ, because we've seen Him because we know, we see Him in His fullness. We don't get, we don't get a hand in the face as He goes by because we can't... No, no, no. Because of His grace, because of Christ, we see Him in His fullness. I remember, remember the day I got married. Okay, the day I got married, I remember um, I'm standing up at the altar, and, and I love I love doing weddings. And this is kind of becoming a trend. I think a lot of people do this now. When you do the wedding, you start to see a lot of people now turn around and look at the groom when the bride starts coming down. Everyone used to just look at the bride, but now there's this new thing of like, looking at the groom to see, eh, is he going to cry? And people are taking bets and wagers and stuff. There's like a scoreboard on the outside. You know, Vegas is like three to one. And, and, so, you, you go, and so I stand there, and I, and I love it. I love looking at the guy. Crier, right, Jono? Crier, I mean, obviously. You know what I mean? J- Josh, Josh getting married on Saturday, it's going to get awkward. I mean, like, dude, this is going to be a puddle. He's going to fill a baptismal. It's going to be ridiculous. Um, <laughs> so, sorry to call you out, bro. Um, but, I, but I love doing that, because I remember the moment I'm up there. And, and the way our church was set up that we got married at, was there was this hallway in, in the back. And there were three big windows that I could kind of just, I could kind of see Verity coming through, you know, coming in from the side, slowly walking over, but it was kind of, it was like a side, because it was kind of the profile, she's looking away, because she's already starting to get teary, and the whole thing, and I remember just thinking, like, gosh, she looks, she looks beautiful, you know, and I tell you what, though, it wasn't until that moment, when she comes around the corner, and the door's open, right, and she takes that step forward, and the light shines on her face, where I just melted, right, and I, 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 I'm sobbing I'm crying I'm breaking down I'm not Josh crying let's, let's be clear but I'm crying because that's my wife be- because something was about to change about who I was my identity I was going to become husband I was getting a new title and I saw her face and it was beautiful and it was clear and it changed my life I think when we clearly understand, when we look at Jesus, we see God fully. It is, it's not, it's not. Hey, check out! It's everything, all of Him exposed for the world to see. To say, "I am here, I love you, and my grace is for you." Walk in that truth. Walk in that power, and love people with that same thing. It's revolutionary when we get that. What would our churches? What would the church across the world look like? If we truly dwelt on the fact that Jesus is God. I think it changed things. Instead of just a theological concept, and idea that we, that we kind of believe, to really dwell that this guy that we follow is the guy that made everything. He made everything. He created you. He created me. He created love. That's who we follow. Okay, now, his character. So we'll wrap up. Exodus 34, 6 through 9. So Jesus, again, shows his identity, now shows in his character that he is God. Exodus 34, 6-9, "...the Lord passed parakomia before him and proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness." keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and pardon our sin. Take us now as your inheritance. The Lord passes by once again, this time not to show His identity. That's already been established. This time He passes by to say, this is who I am. This is my character. And so not only should you just be stoked because I'm God and I'm with you, you should be stoked because this is the type of God I am. And so He shows off His character. And let's just look at this real quick as we wrap up. Our God is merciful. He does not give us what we deserve. And we deserve a lot of bad. Okay. he relents, okay? uh, he is gracious, he gives us what we don 't deserve. He pours out blessing, he pours out and i 'll even say this amongst, I mean this as a nugget. blessing occurs in both good and bad let 's be very clear with that. You know what I mean? I see a ton of Facebook says to say, gosh I, you know, just got a new job, so blessed okay that 's true, and you are blessed in that moment, but I'll tell you what, I got thrown in prison today, so blessed, why not because you got thrown in prison, so blessed because Jesus is in your life that, that has to be clear, amen. So God is gracious to us. He is slow to anger. Notice He's patient. He has forbearance. He takes time. He doesn't look upon what you've done and just say, all right, you're out. No, He's he's patient. He's abounding in what? Two things. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Abounding, overflowing with these things that He will always do what He's promised to do. That's the God we serve. That's the God we know. That's Jesus as we serve Him. For thousands. In other words, this is meant to be a numeral. It's for everyone. Come in. See this God. Love everyone. That's His character. It extends beyond any dividing wall that we would try and prop up in our world. It's for thousands. He's forgiving. And this is a true forgiveness. A true forgiveness that yes, saves, but also in the midst of that, doesn't lot, the relationship doesn't change. Does that make sense? So a lot of times, right, when we extend forgiveness, it's, yeah, I forgive you, but I'm still going to harbor all this. I'm still going to feel all of these things. I'm still going to act the same way. No, no, no. Jesus says, no, I I forgive you, and it's gone. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of the cross. He's just. He hates sin, and he punishes wickedness and brokenness. As any good father should that he disciplines, he is just, and he hates the brokenness of this world. Last one, he's ours. He's ours. He is our God. He is our shepherd. And he listens to his people. So while so many of us for so long, and I don't know all of your stories, maybe, you know, some of you you got you got saved and we started said you got saved into a baptismal, right? I mean you're just Christian like that. You know, something like that. Man, you're just like other of us took 20 years. Some of you have 50 years. Some of you are here and you still, you still don't believe. You still don't believe that, that this is all real. Could, could this be true? You got all these different holes and stuff like that, but I'll tell you what. Jesus, He's our God. He's our Savior. And He's our Shepherd and he 's come in where there 's brokenness, where there 's pain, where there 's hurt, where there 's suffering, where there 's even listen even when you think everything 's good there 's all this other stuff going on, uh, going on, even deep down around you, whatever it is he 's come to fix all that he 's come to shepherd his people back to God because he 's God <laughs> Jesus is God Jesus is God. They wrap up this text at the end and we 'll go back in this land in this story land in this story, verse 53 at the end of Mark 6. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. And this is intentional by Mark. Okay, This is intentional by Mark to show a juxtaposition, a contrast between the people in the boat the apostles who just didn't see it. They missed it. Who is this guy? And then you got these people that are there, hungry, and they immediately recognize him. Here's what happens. What do they do? They ran about the whole region, began to bring the sick people on their beds, wherever they heard he was. Wherever he came, in villages, cities, countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it, were made well. When we can recognize Jesus, when we get who he is... You hear me? When we understand this guy, our Savior, the guy we talk about, we preach about all the time, when we get that he's God, when we recognize him, when we don't miss it, like the guys in the boat, when we finally understand the answer to the question, who is this man that even the waves obey, is God in the flesh, the Savior, the Messiah, when we get that, we run to him in confidence, in power, in hope, and we see him do amazing things, We see Him do incredible things in and through. Why? Not because of any of our goodness or any of our greatness. It's because He is God and He's on a mission for His creation that was lost way back in Genesis 3. And He's bringing it all back to Himself. And that is good news today. Listen, if Jesus isn't God, the gospel is not the gospel. It's just news. It's not good news if Jesus isn't God. But if he's God, the gospel truly is the greatest story we could ever share and celebrate together. Amen? And so my desire for us today is that we would dwell on this reality. Truly dwell on who we worship. The power that is in that. And we would run to Jesus. And I I don't even know what that looks because it's not like he's back there and we can all just start going. He's in you. The Holy Spirit resides in you. Run with him. Keep in step with him. Walk with him. Love him. Worship him. Study about him. And do the things that he has done. Be with Jesus. Run to Christ and have the full assurance of faith that that Savior, that God is with you always. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that um, yeah, it's weird to say thank you that you're God because you're just God, but thank you that you're also a, you're a good God. That you are just. That you are abounding in steadfast love. You're abounding in forgiveness. You're abounding in grace and mercy and love, and God, you do all these things amidst. <clears throat> I'll just speak for myself amidst a person that doesn't deserve any of it. God, so we confess as a people today that you're really, really good. You're amazing. You're great. Your love is amazing and good. Your grace is unbelievable. God, you are so good. God, in the midst of that, we just slay ourselves bare and realize we're just not. And so, Jesus, as we learn more, as we really let it sink in and dwell, that you are God in the flesh, God, that you are ours that you've called us out, that you've saved us, that you've delivered us, and that you didn't stop there, but you gave us your spirit that we could follow you and walk in your ways and continuously, at all times, be with you and see you and know you. God, please speak to each of our hearts about how we do that better, how we learn more about you, how we just be in your presence more, whatever that looks like for us. God, we know you tell us that in your presence is the fullness of joy. And God, I know you're in this place. I know you reside in those that are here that love you. And so, Lord, would there be much joy and rejoicing in this place this morning as we sing, as we baptize, as we celebrate, because Jesus is God and he is not dead, but he is risen. So, God, I just, I'm pumped up because you are amazing, and it doesn't make sense that we get to just be with you and know you. So, Lord, thank you for the gifts and the blessing of who you are this morning. Speak to our hearts and change us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.